Hello and welcome to another episode of The Practical Medium and I'm Michelle who's actually, actually managing to do what she says and release another podcast in a timely manner, The Practical Medium. So uh, before I get started and rolling tonight on part two of what I started to discuss in part one with uh, the, Amer- the Native Americans and their creations, I have to be forewarning. I am kitten sitting the orange and white terror again, and while he's been pretty well behaved, uh, he sometimes launches himself into the chair next to me and makes a lot of noise. So, and he talks sometimes too. So I will, as much as lovely as it is to have Kitty in the middle of a podcast, try to keep him from overwhelming what I'm talking about. So on that note, I am going to talk about the. I covered basically the North American version of um, things that go bump in the night and I'm going to cover the European version because that's the other area where I have a lot of information mainly because I do have a friend who engages in this. Um, Now the thing that I'm going to point out is that this really this is more Eurasian. This is um, you know India um, maybe, I don't think China, I don't know about too much about China, but, um, this phenomenon started in, oh, how far back I'm trying to, trying to find the, the period long before the dark ages, long before organized religion. It's something that's primitive, but in the word for them is called tulpa, T-U-L-P-A-A. Now, modern society has shortened it to tulpa because you know that apparently that extra a is extraneous and it's something that um has been a phenomenon since we had the ability to comprehend that there were things outside the um the the the, uh, reach of the fire you know so anybody who's been on a camp uh campsite complete with a fire knows that there's that's the best time to start telling ghost stories because there might be something out there and every time you know something breaks a branch everybody you know has to shovel their pants out afterwards because they're so scared now it's wonderfully delicious to go ahead and have campfire stories and there's nothing really wrong with it nobody is making anything into a reality um and i'm putting that disclaimer now because you know, it's a part of our life experience, and it's something that should be enjoyed. If people shouldn't feel like, oh my god, I am going to create something if I do this. No, you're not. It's something that has to actually, takes time, takes effort, and takes a low information um, society to create. Not saying people are stupid. It's just that they're not, their, their ability to comprehend the world outside the, the limits of their campfires is, is minimal. They're limited. They can't really perceive things that they don't see, so they make stuff up. Sound familiar? So, anyway, on that note, let me get into the background of Tulpa, as it currently exists. And I will tell you right now, there's a lot of my pretty little pony flying around there in the form of Tulpa, because I kid you not, that's a thing. Um, A lot of times... And here we go with again. Uh, people escape into the world of creating tulpa and creating uh, the worlds around them and using them as um, an escape mechanism. Um, and here we go with again. Um, so they don't 
comprehend that they're not playing with imaginary creatures, even though it might seem like it to them, or they invest reality in them. But the more they put into effort into more effort they put into creating these these people, these characters, the more um, how do I put it? The more form they take. Now, I'm going to break it down even further and get to the how they're created. And it has to do with the fact that every consciousness has a seed. I'm getting all kinds of noise interruptions tonight. I had to pause and cut out the sound of my furnace kicking in. So as I was saying, every consciousness starts in the form of a seed. And uh, S-E-E-D, not S-E-A-T, just in case I'm not getting that out correctly. And each seed has the potential to grow into a fully formed tree. Sometimes some consciousnesses stop at um, the very basic, you know, like the, the small trunk with two, the, the first two leaves. Sometimes they turn into a sapling and don't go further. Sometimes they grow into an ancient wizened oak and the kind that has a canopy that covers, you know, square acres of many square acres of the area it surrounds us. Now, where we are in terms of our development we're more like the oaks. Humans are more like a like an old ancient oak because we come back for so many reincarnations. There's no set number, but we can stop at any time. But, you know, for somebody who starts out as a little seed and keeps coming back, keeps growing, keeps getting a bigger trunk and keeps getting more branches and more leaves and more, you know, more wiser and more uh, adept at survival. So when people are messing with tulpas, and they, there's a little, there's, it's like the, there's this, uh, how to describe it, um, field of consciousnesses. They're just nothing there. They're like amoeba. And they literally come along without realizing what they're doing and pluck out one of these little amoeba. And they start putting um, personalities on them, consciousnesses. And they're rudimentary at the beginning. They're not fully formed, even though they might, people might think they are, they are not. They have to develop them, and over time, these consciousnesses form into something more complete. They do get independent of the people that are creating them, and I'm, I'm putting a little emphasis on that because a lot of people don't understand that my pretty pony character you've created, yeah, that's going to be something else someday, and it's not going to be anything you can control. Maybe it won't be until after you're long gone, but a lot of people abandon tulpas and don't stick with them for the rest of their life. Uh, mainly because, well, it was a phase I went through. Well, yeah, but there's really no black or white, wrong or good, you know, um, right way to put these things. They just exist. They are. Nobody's saying that you can't create them because if you couldn't, then we wouldn't have tulpa. So, you know, circular logic and all that. Uh, ultimately, um, tulpa either decide to fail or they decide to thrive. And they will do it in the way that the best way they can see fit. Now, um, my friend who has a very strong, jeez, uh, tulpaverse, I guess you could say, um, created. His characters are very distinct. And actually, I'll get to this. This is something that's a little mind-wiggling for some, maybe. But his tulpa are fully formed. They have full thought, of, independent of him, even though they are his creations. Um, they have their own lives and they interact with the other side, the side of that, the spirit world, for lack of a better description right now. And, um, 
because my friend has reported talking to a character thinking it was some it was a creation only to have information given to him that there was no way that this would have come from his own mind uh anything he's read it's just way deeper and uh, more factual than he ever thought. So the character really isn't, he's borrowing part of an existing character's consciousness. Again, it sounds weird, sounds scary. It's not. It's just like, you know how you're focused on your computer while your ears are focused on somewhere else because you're listening for something? Same thing, only it's on a spiritual level. So he, um, his tulpas are his creations and I cannot connect with them. There's just nothing there for me to connect to because they've never been human. They're in their part. They're very tightly linked to him and him only. And they wouldn't know how to connect with me if we tried, except for one. And that, my dear, is because she's a succubus. <laughs> yes, they exist. Succubus and incubi do exist. Not in any great number, but they do have a purpose out there. And, um... I had long conversations with him over time about, yeah, you got a succubus because I can tap into her. She's part of a larger consciousness as well. And it, it bothered the two of them until I explained, no, it's fine. It's no, it's not like nobody knows this is going on. It absolutely, they, you know, the, the main consciousness knows and you wouldn't be able to handle the major consciousness in this existence anyway. So she's just sending you part of herself to help you. Yes, a succubus is actually a help meet. But when you're also spirit, uh, energetically a warlock, it kind of makes sense to have a succubus. And yes, I called him a warlock because he is one. He, if, uh, whenever I visually see him in my internal vision, it, uh, boy, that was good English there. Whenever I see him in my internal vision, he is surrounded by arcane symbols and numbers, the weird stuff that you see in you know, like the medieval ages when alchemists were trying to figure out how to turn lead into gold. That surrounds him, which tells me he's esoteric and arcane. And esoteric and arcane is, and a male, human male, is a warlock. So that's just how it is. You know, there's, it, um, it took him a while for him to accept that from me too. It's like, hey dude, I can't tell you, this is what I'm saying. You may as well just deal. <laughs> you know, it's like we're humans right now, but yeah. Anyway, I realize a lot of this gets into fantasy land, but this is what is my things we see he sees and what we do and it does feel fantasaical because it's just but it really i can't connect with his tulpa the ones he's created but i can connect with a succubus you know i don't know what to tell you it's just strange anyway so yes the succubus um i don't touch her too much i haven't talked with her in a long time but she was here one night to help me with drama coming from my downstairs neighbors long story but um you know, he was relaying stuff that she was seeing on me. So it was interesting. And maybe I'll tell that story one day. But meanwhile, back to the tulpa. So his tulpas have everything they could possibly need. It is very sometimes 14-year-old uh, boy fantasy-ish. Sorry, but it is. And, um, you know, but I don't knock on it. It's what works for him. But again... They're creations of, of his mind turned into, a, you know, an energetic, energy-based form. But they're not connected to the larger realm. They're not connected to the outside world. Eventually they will. Sometimes they actually turn to be, they come here to be human. They, sometimes they go other places. 
sometimes they decide that they just don't like what they are and say, send me back. It happens. Yeah, it really does happen. But um, otherwise, they are here, they exist, but they just don't really affect our world. But they do, however, make people who engage in this stuff feel a little better about their lives, even though they may not be confronting their demons or whatever is bothering them. You know, some people never will. Some people do. And it's a coping mechanism. So, um... It's an interesting world on its own, and that is the modern form of tulpa. Now, um, I'm going to go back in time and explain the historical aspect, the historical nature of these things. So, now, I was asked a question about skinwalkers, and I'm going to address that right now. Skinwalkers are purely tulpa. They have never been physical. They have never had a physical existence. But they have had, they do have a form. They do have the ability to be visible to humans. They do have, you know, they, they have a presence. Um, their ability to scare people is purely just by generating um, fear in the mind along the, a la the whole, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the whole blah, shamans and their war walkers. Similar thing. And they are scary. They're nasty looking. They make you think that you're about to be attacked because that's the energy they radiate. They radiate, And, you know, it's, it's really hard to not uh, fall apart around these things and, you know, you know, fight or flight kicks in and you want to take the hell off out of Dodge. It happens. Um, I, I am segueing into, out of this into the Tulpa because this is the basis of Tulpa. They are things that go bump in the night. They are things that are actually created by the living. They're not poltergeist because a poltergeist only lasts for a certain amount of time with teenagers. What they are, are the base consciousness come to life. So people's fears, they, they, you know, you have a primitive society or a non-primitive society, but one that is lit only by fire and the amount of light available is limited. So you spend more time in darkness during certain times of the year than you do in the light. And it's very easy to have those fears preyed upon by the darkness. And if you're living in small encampments and the nearest, nearest encampment is miles away, you are on your own out there. You might have somebody who stays up overnight to keep the fire burning and keep an eye out for, you know, the, um, for invaders or whatever. But even they are powerless against the Tulpa because they too, even though they put on a brave face, the people, the, the, the night watchers, the humans, they still have a fear of what's out there. It's kind of like, um, I guess a modern day comparison would be um, Game of Thrones. This might be making some people think of Game of Thrones and the, uh, the wall. Now, I admittedly never saw the series. I've only made my way through a couple of books. So, you know, eh, eh, eh. Um, but I remember that part where Jon Snow, I think it was, had to go to the wall and there was always stuff on the other side that they were, um, waiting to arrive. Same thing. It's the same principle. You have a world lit only by fire and you don't know what's out there. So you have to be on your guard and being on your guard creates that fear. When you have a bunch of people who are afraid of the night, that fear coalesces. It turns into an actual thought form. Same thing like PK phenomenon, 
But unlike PK Phenomenon, this takes on a life of its own. And people start thinking that there's, you know, a gigantic werewolf out there that's about to, you know, come and take them away. Or vampires, which is another more modified, modern version of the old bloodsucker thing. The bloodsuckers have been around since, eh. Way, way, like the, the, the vampire is something that's been around with us since uh, I think the dawn of man, it feels like. It's something that's, um, it's not a fairy tale in the sense that it was created by Bram Stoker, which we knew, but it, it, it goes back a long ways. So we created this thing and it became not only um, an imaginary, an, um, not imaginary, she scared me. An imaginary in the sense that something was given its form, but it could never really truly affect humans um in any great number and it might it might actually might might be able to take somebody now and again but nothing like you know not a not like the war walkers who are trying to intimidate the other side to go away um or give up or you know just lay down and die these things you know just they relied on the energy of the people that were in the communities to make them into something somewhat seemingly physical and everyone now and again they might be able to succeed in a physical connection and um, you know take somebody out I was just and on that note I was reading an article today about aboriginals in western Australia uh, talking about that exact thing that their family members get lost get, experienced people going out into the bush looking for meals never come home Sometimes it's another, it's, you know, war against with an old tribe taking them out. Sometimes they feel it's spirit, you know, and it's, so it persists into this modern day and it's, um, very alive and well. If I remember, I will put the link into the box for, to, I've got to go find it, but I'll put the link for people to read. So back to the Tulpa, they're primitive. Same with the Skinwalkers. They're very primitive. They are uh, not quite binary, but they don't have a whole lot of deep thought. They have been programmed by the living to do one thing, which is to prey and, and predate. Uh, God, I'm getting too much academic language. Their version is to basically, people think that there's something out there to get them. So they create as a whole, the whole mental, you know, the mental think, th thinking, um, turns create something right so in turn this thing is created to think that it is supposed to prey on the living that it's supposed to somehow kill people and it has to kill people in a certain fashion because that's what it's been programmed to do again amoeba base you know a basic instinct a basic uh existence not much to it until something's been printed upon it and there you so there you have um but in this case because it's fear-based it's something that people fear their fear their lives for so the fear for their lives from so there's dracula lurking outside in the in the dark waiting for young maidens who fresh to have their their, their blood drained from their their blood drained from their tender necks or you have um you know like a cere cerebus a three-headed dog which um again people think that there's something out there that's kind of like a bear kind of like a dog has multiple heads it gets created into the tulpa and that is something that menaces their, their, their communities at night when they're asleep. So, you know, that's why they, these things, you have these fairy tales, like, but um, you have these legends coming down through the centuries about, you know, Hansel and Gretel, uh, they, because the wicked, the, the witch and the Hansel and Gretel, 
would technically be a tulpa. She was made into a form, <clears throat> literary form, by the Brothers Grimm. But there's uh, Baba Yaga, which is another version of Hansel and Gretel. There's a bunch of them out there. These stories have basis in the, reality, the daily realities of early communities before written word, before words were written down, excuse me, and they were oral traditions. And oral traditions got made into, let, into words, and they got formalized into the modern-day boogeymen. But back then, they didn't always have a name. They didn't know why there was stuff out there. They had no clue they were creating it. And they just knew that there was something to be afraid of out there. And it's, it's, it's really what it, what it comes down to with Tulpa. So it's, um, is it dangerous to mess with Tulpa? I'm going to segue out of there because I've felt that there's, I've beaten that one to death. So the next question would be, is it dangerous to mess with Tulpa? Yeah, no. Um, you have a lot of people, um, so now again, I'm going to, I'm going to use Reddit as my pool of experience because that's really, I haven't done a whole lot of research into it, except for the fact I know that it's something I need to stay the way, stay away from in terms of looking into. It's not something I need to be doing because I have, you know, a lot of other stuff to do and being a psychic's bad enough. <laughs> so anyway, so Tulpa, a lot of mentally um, disturbed people get into it, and I'm not saying ill, but sometimes we're not always all there. Um, you do have a lot of um, people who are on the, um, how do I put it, low end of the spectrum of schizophrenia, or they have some kind of anxiety disorder, or they have a life that um, they're living that is not ideal because they're under such firm control by parents. You know, there's any number of things, but what this all comes down around to is escapism and trying to make sense of the world as it exists within their perception. And you know, if you've ever had a conversation with a functional schizophrenic, and I used to work with one actually years ago, um, he managed to survive very well in the world. But when he explained to me what would happen when he had a psychotic break, which was mild, admittedly, it was like, you know, he, think, he thought everybody was trying to phone call him, so he had to rush home from wherever he was, and he would be miles away. He didn't have a car, so he'd have to go by train and bus to get home, only to come home and find the phone wasn't ringing. You need to find a way to cope with that stuff. And sometimes turning in words and creating worlds and creating characters and turning them into fully fledged, not fleshed, but fully fledged uh, consciousnesses as one way to help that. Now, is it good for these people to do that? Not particularly because it will take them away from their ability to cope with life. And I mean, it sucks. I'm not saying that this is, I'm taking a toy away, because it does sound like that, I'm sure. But they really, it's just something that they don't have control over. Um, they don't have comprehension of what they're doing. And um, they don't know that they're actually unleashing something out there on, you know, in the non-physical side of things. Well, the other side of physicality, so to speak. And uh, that they're creating things that just go float and bump in the night. Now, this is where it might get interesting for some of you, is that tulpa, when they're created, um, obviously we have a consciousness, but what does it do? Well, like I said just now, it floats around the universe. And because they're familiar with humans, 
because the human created them. But maybe the human abandoned them and they're trying to find something else to do. Well, they find their way into homes. They find their way to other living people. They become form attachments. They become negative. They become positive. But they really feed off human hosts because that's what they know to do. So you get stuff in the houses, like what I've talked about with Amy Allen, stuff that I see in the houses is oftentimes um, created by somebody that at some point and released. Um, and actually, now that I remi I'm reminded myself, somebody, so this is not me who sussed this out, it was my mentor. She, we were talking about something and she looked into it and it was created in the medieval ages by Catholic priests messing around with stuff they shouldn't have. So you have an entity that has been growing for hundreds of years, that has been feeding off of humans, getting more intelligent, will never be human, but it has managed to get enough, uh, build itself up to be able to, you know, make itself known in our existence, in our physical existence, and make people miserable. Now, that thing in that particular, I'm trying to remember, I can't quite remember what the ultimate disposition was, but... Um, um, I don't remember, I think it was, we just identified it, or she just identified it and we discussed it, its existence. But the person who it was belonging to, quote unquote, belonging to, and uh, nobody who's listening was, uh, is the recipient of this because some of you I know we've t um, that listen to this podcast, I've done that kind of work for. So it's nobody that anybody is, has experienced. Take a deep breath. <laughs> this thing did not land on anybody that, has, that I've helped. Um, it was just something else that, uh, something else that I was doing. And it was fascinating that, you know, Catholic priests in the med in the middle, in the medieval period were screwing around and doing something, Catholic monks, excuse me, I had that wrong, not priests. Um, it was an order, so it was monks, you know, and creating garbage. So that's why it's kind of, you know, if you're going to do this, if people want to do this and, or need to do this, they need to do it. And follow guidelines there's lots of guidelines on how to create tulpa there's lots of good stuff out there and there's there's safe tulpa ing and not so safe tulpa ing um but it's better to if people want to escape read books um create literary characters put them on paper put them on the computer anything but don't use the power of the mind to create things because you might have something break off that will make somebody else miserable down the road. Now we all do something, you know, we all leave our little energetic eddies in our wake of, of energy, of energy that, you know, of pissed off energy and it dissipates, you know, it goes away. It doesn't stick around, but the more effort put into creating a tulpa, you know, and the more negative negativity or the more it's like somebody's upset and they want to take that upsetness and focus it away from themselves into the, into a tulpa, which happens you're creating something that is eventually going to make p other people's lives miserable. Uh, did you really want that legacy, even though you might be long dead by the time that happens? I don't know. I wouldn't. So it's, again, just stay, you know, don't, I wouldn't do it. And I wouldn't suggest people do it for an escapism. There's better ways to do it than creating, thing, you know, messing with stuff you, people don't understand. So on that note, that is um, what pretty much everything I can pick out from the other side about tulpa. Um, most of the time I don't, I really do not, um, how do I put it? I don't script these podcasts by and large. I do write out points I want to make, but a lot of the information just flows through me from the other side. I have no, 
I sometimes I do bring up my own memories. And as obviously in this one, I talked about my friend. Um, but a lot of it just flows through me and the explanation comes from other, quote unquote, as I put it. So there's, you know, it's just the information is out there and the, the warning is not, is partially me because I see what happens with Tulpa and I see what people, this goes wrong. But there's just a general overall feeling of leave well enough alone. People are still going to mess with it. People are still going to have fears about things that go bump in the night. But the fewer people that do it, the better. Yeah, that's just the feeling of it. And um, I think it's something that the, the intent is let the practice die. Leave it to the ex experts. Leave it to the people with experience. Leave it to the people who know that they're doing and find other ways to turn in, you know, to, to take that frustration out. Again, I realize that it's a warning that will only be heated as well as it will be heated because the heat, heat, H-E-E-D-E-D, -E -E excuse me if I'm not being clear, because the internet is the internet and it's Pandora's box and there's information out there that will probably contradict what I'm saying. And I know my friend who is a, who's a Tulpa Mancer, um, would probably disagree with me to a point, but he also has seen what happens when people don't Tulpa responsibly. So there's, he would also put in a note of caution for people to not do this unless they really have researched what they, what they're doing. So on that note, um, you know, to be continued, I believe, but this is just, you know, brief insight within a half of an hour's time of what Tulpa are and how they came about and how we do use them mod in the modern sense. Now, you know, research, check it out, see what you think for your own self. But this is the other flip side of the war walkers. The war walkers are primitive. They don't have a lot of consciousness. Tulpa, on the other hand, are amoeba consciousnesses that are given an overlay of their human creator or the, you know, depending on the, create the intent and how many people put in their effort into it. And they can grow over time and um, become something more um, accomplished, formed, cognizant, etc., etc. So, you know, it's like I wouldn't want to mess with either, but there you have it. People do what they will. So, on that note, uh, I'm going to wind that up and. Um, segue into uh i touched on the celebrity deaths last uh last episode and specifically um i mentioned the whole kobe and his daughter gianna passing and um together like that and you know how awful that it is for people for parents to have that experience uh the living rather to see the you know to see them but there's another sign of it that um there's a beauty in it, and, and, you know, it's a terrible beauty, but it is, still is. And I will get to that in the next podcast. I kind of try to stay away from certain sensitive subjects, like, you know, the death of a parent and a child in those fashions. But that's my personal bias creeping in. So if people want me to talk about something like that, or if I mention something, please don't hesitate. You know, my email is in the box below. Um... And uh, it's Michelle the Practical Medium at gmail.com. Michelle E L E instead of E L L E if it's if you don't see the box. And um, give me a, you know drop me a line, and uh, we'll um, we can talk, or you can just say hey can you talk about this in the next podcast? 
please do. Please tell me. Please give me ideas. What something, you know, because I'm in my own little format here and my own little list of things to talk about. I love input. I love somebody giving me, hey, can you talk about that? That's perfectly fine. There are no taboos with me. Only personal, my own personal biases say, well, maybe you don't want to talk about that because it's a little too sensitive and might step on some toes and noses and body parts. So I try to be broad, but sometimes I don't want to be a broad, if you know what I mean. Um, so on that note, my multiple ands and so's using as pauses between sentences and thoughts notwithstanding. I want to say once again, I appreciate all of you who are following and listening my podcasts. It's wonderful to know that there are people out there that are checking me out. And whatever your reasons may be, you know, that's wonderful. It's appreciated. So... If you need to find me, you know what the email is, and um, we'll talk soon. And again, if everything goes the way it should be going, the way I want it to be, blah, 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 I should be able to get more regular with the podcasts and you know fill your ears with the weirdness that is life on the other side. Until then, be well, be safe, and enjoy.